0: Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just want to make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review. That would be very appreciated. All right, guys, let's dive in.
1: 5,000 down, and the balance, no interest, no payments due in six months. No interest, no payments, right? They're just hanging on to that money until I sell this thing in six months. But one of the pain points that kind of tipped him over the edge, and I knew it was a pain for him because I listened, that HVAC was bugging him so much. He had to make a decision. Am I gonna put a, a coil on it? Which way am I gonna face it? He just didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. So I told him, I said, Larry, if we work this deal out here today, I know it's bugging you. That HVAC guy can call me from now on. I'll make those decisions. By the way, I'll give him my credit card today so you don't have to pay for that
0: You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here on Just Our Real Estate. I'm excited to have you, and I'm excited to be with you for another Thursday show. This is the Thursday show that didn't exist a month ago. We are just started doing two shows a week. And I'm psyched about it. And I'm trying to just really turn up the volume on the on the value that I'm offering you on these shows. And the Thursday show is something I'm really excited about. I'm happy to be doing it and happy to be bringing you more content that I think is going to move the needle for your business. And today I'm continuing on the uh, Flip Hacking Live, previous Flip Hacking Live presentations and bringing them to you here on the podcast. I am just plucking the absolute best of the best, the, the the presentations that I really think you missed out on by not seeing live, I'm bringing them to you now. And today I have for you another presentation by my mentor, someone who I really, really look up to in this industry as a person, as a businessman, as a father, as a husband. His name is Andy McFarlane. And if you have any exposure to Andy at all, if you've ever heard him talk, if you've ever had the chance to be around him, you know exactly what I'm talking about absolute best guy, absolute smartest guy, business person, dad, father, all of that, and husband, just a great guy. And today I am bringing you his presentation. He did a couple of years back on seller financing. Guys, seller financing is going to be humongous in the next year or two. It's big now, it's always been big, but I think it's gonna be especially impactful and especially useful for you and your uh, real estate tool belt to be able to do seller financing deals. And there's nobody better, there's nobody that's been doing it longer at such a high level than Andy, and he's the perfect guy to lay this out for you so that you can understand how you can start doing seller financing deals. So I am so excited, and you should be too. I'm telling you, guys, pay attention to this one. Be ready to take notes. You're probably going to have to listen to it more than once. Andy really brings it in this presentation, and I know you're going to absolutely be mind blown about seller financing the way that Andy explains it and lays it out for you. It's easy to follow. It's easy to implement. And you should be doing this in your business. So let's dive into the meat of this podcast. I give you Andy McFarlane talking about seller financing.
1: Do you guys, you guys remember what Bill said the first day? He stood up here, he set the frame for all of you. He said, the louder you guys get, the more they're gonna give. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so I heard it. In my mind, I have not heard anybody louder, even though there were some people that should have gotten louder applause than me that came here today, because it was great. But I heard it, I heard it, so I hope I can bring it for you guys. God, this event's been amazing, right? I knew it was gonna be, because I put this slide in. Jason is my witness. It's been a month now? Now it's been weeks, but it was here before we came. And uh, the, the, this event would not be possible without the superheroes that brought you all here. Bill Allen, right? And this one, we haven't heard much about in this room as we talked earlier this week. Vanessa, superhero, and of course, we can't forget Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, that's you, Kyle. He got a shout out from Russell from the stage. He got a shout out from Russell from the stage. Cool. So thank you guys for now, thank you guys for coming, but thank you guys for superheroes. Um, who here likes MacGyver? Yeah. All right. Why do we like MacGyver? I know you can't answer me, so I'll answer. I like MacGyver because he was always helping people. But not only that, he was always helping people, but then he he used his mind to kind of help people get out of situations, right? His mind was the ultimate weapon. So that's why I love MacGyver, always helping people, and he used his mind to help people get out of situations. I remember one MacGyver, I, I haven't seen MacGyver in probably 20 some odd years, but for some reason this is burned in my brain, so I'm like, I gotta put this slide in here. The scene of MacGyver playing pool with some like wayward teen, remember this? He's just having a, you probably don't remember, but he's having a conversation with him in the pool hall. The wayward teen's got these problems, he's talking to MacGyver about it. And MacGyver's like, you know, taking, soaking those things in, trying to give him life advice, and this guy's just struggling, this teen's struggling. And they're playing this pool game all the while they're talking. And then it's MacGyver shot, and he's behind a rough pool shot, right? Those of you that play pool, it's just a tough shot. And the teen looks at him and goes, what are you gonna do now? And MacGyver shoots some crazy, amazing trick shot, wins the game, eight ball or whatever goes in the pocket. He looks at the kid and goes, you got to learn to look at all the angles. And there was this perfect crescendo of like the pool game comes with life, right? Got to learn to look at all the angles. As real estate investors, we are guilty of looking at one angle. It's called the cash hammer. 70% of ARV minus repairs. Sometimes it's 82% of ARV minus repairs, whatever it is, right? The cash hammer. That's how we do business. And When we look at things from the cashing perspective, that's our tool. Every problem's a nail, right? I hope to convince you guys today to be more like MacGyver. Let's get a Swiss Army knife here, right? He had multiple different tools that he was famous for, right? Swiss Army knife was what comes to my mind, but some of you guys might think of some of these other tools, right? It's paper clips, right? So why does this matter to you? I hope that uh, hoping we leave today to give you some of these tools and encourage you to be like MacGyver, real estate MacGyvers. Always be helping people, but increasing your tools so that you can, again, use those to help other people. Um, And why does this matter to you guys? Is this market, is this a seller's market? I mean, it's been a seller's market for a while, right? We're in this bull run. In a seller's market, it seems like it's hard to do deals, right? So people wouldn't do a terms deal in a seller's market, would they? I can tell you guys, these tools we're going to talk about, they work in a seller's market, and I'll prove it to you but they work even better in a buyer's market. So anybody's worried about some sort of market shift coming and a shift will come eventually, these tools, you should care because they work even better in a buyer's market, okay? So question, what do you guys think? What percentage of my deals, in the last 12 months running, in for some form of seller financing? Any guesses? Five, 10, 10, 20, 20, 20, 23%, I counted them up. last 12 months, 23% includes some form of seller finance. In a seller's market right so today I want to talk to you guys about these things so first the number one key and I did this just so you some of you guys that are tired and the wave didn't wake you up you can just go to your room take a nap it will be another however long 45 minutes Um, but yeah I'm talking about the first key to seller finance the second key to seller finance then some seller financing for flips for longer-term seller some longer-term seller finance and seller finance when there's no underlying mortgage and I'm going to include some paperwork. For those of you that are like, it seems complicated. I don't know how to do it. I'm going to include some paperwork so you guys can see it. Okay? Fair enough. You guys excited for this? you good with this? Okay. All right. So the number one key to unlock seller finance deals. This is extremely important. It's belief. You've got to believe that one, you can do it and two, that it can be a better deal for the seller. you got to believe. Because if you don't believe, we're stopped right there at the door. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters if you don't believe that it actually can be a good deal. Because here's the thing. You can't effectively sell, which you don't believe, right? But when you believe, your, fi- your mind finds a way to do. So the belief is extremely important. Please don't overlook that. I put it there for the first key for a reason. That is extremely important. We have to have the belief. The second key to unlock seller finance deals is trust. You have to have trust to do seller financing deals. Terms deals require an enormous amount of trust. So you're gonna have to earn that trust with your sellers. Now, you guys might be thinking to yourself, great, how do I earn that trust, right? Here I'm going to tell you guys. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, we overlook that a lot, right? Right? Like, yeah, 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 I get it. I got to be, somebody's got to trust me, but can we get there pretty quick? Microwave trust? There's no microwave trust. You've got to earn it. You've got to believe going with your belief, and then you've got to earn that trust. But it can't be fake. It can't be fake. So here's how... We earn that trust, in my opinion. You show that you care by active listening. Not just in work environments, you guys have all experienced this, people that you know care about you. How do you know they care if you stop and think and analyze it, if you don't already know? It's because they took the time to listen to you and value you and pay attention just to you. That's how you knew they truly cared. You can't fake that. We all feel it intuitively as human beings, right? We've all felt this before. And here's the thing too about active listening. Listening is not waiting to talk. Sometimes we confuse that. Well, oh, I was listening, sitting there, I was silent. You know, I didn't say anything, no words came out of my mouth. But were we listening, or were we waiting to talk? Right? It's important. Hopefully one of these is Russell's bottle. If he's got some of that stuff bottled up from earlier, I want it right here. What do you guys think, right? Cool, you guys with me? Extremely important before we get into the details of it. Okay, somebody asked me yesterday at the round table, like, well, how do you do that, how do you get into trust? Okay, start conversation, you wanna to listen to somebody, but sometimes you get to the front door and you're like, okay, now what, what do I say? If you don't know what to say to start a conversation, please remember this acronym, FORD, F-O-R-D, start the conversation. F stands for family, talk about their family. If they don't wanna talk about their family, or even if you just go through these, if you don't wanna talk about their family, shift to O, right? You're asking them questions and they kinda don't wanna answer too much, go to O, O is occupation. Maybe they wanna talk about what they do for work. If you kinda get a dead end with occupation, then you can go to recreation. What do they do for fun? Ask them about that. And then finally, you can ask them about their dreams, their aspirations, what do they wanna do? And here's the thing, when you're asking them those things, you're not waiting to talk. You're truly listening, right, with your active listening. And what you're listening for is clues. And if you're truly listening for clues, you're gonna ask clarifying questions, because that really shows that you care. When you're talking to somebody about anything, and they answer with something, if you ask a follow-up question, they know you truly care about that, and it's twofold. You're building rapport with them. Meanwhile, you're learning more, and you're, you're digging deeper about what it is that they're sharing, right? It's, just, it's a twofer that's the best in the world. And you can't fake this. Please don't ever try to fake this, right? So I wanna ask you guys too, I wanna to challenge you guys too, like MacGyver, to ask yourselves within your, your, your circles of influence, when you're out there being real estate investors, to ask yourself this question every day. Start, start your day with this and hopefully end your day with this. Have I done any good in the world today? There's a lot of good in the world. Be that good. Ask yourself, to, to tell yourself today, I'm gonna to go out there and be that good. I'm gonna be like MacGyver, I'm gonna go help people. Have I done any good in the world today, right? And let me tell you guys this too. Even if you don't get a deal, What's the most valuable resource any of us have? Time. You guys have been so gracious to give that to us this weekend. You took your time, you spent your money, but there's a lot of money in the world, but you spent your time. We appreciate that. So when you give that time to a seller to actively listen, you're serving them. That's doing good in my opinion, right? And at the very least, it gives somebody psychological air. It allows them to vent and share. I mean, that's why, counselors get paid so much money isn't it they're just normally there to listen isn't it a shame we have to go pay hundreds of dollars to have somebody to listen to us it shouldn't be that way so i want to challenge you guys when you're going to see the sellers you can be that person you can serve them just by giving them psychological error. so do that to so re-emphasize please use these tools to bless other people's lives they'll actually work if you do and if they don't if you're manipulative they might work in the short run but they'll never work in the long run so now that we've got that out of the way <laughs>
0: All right. Sorry for the quick interruption. I just want to let you know, if you want to get your tickets for Flip Hacking Live, if you're enjoying this presentation and you just want more of it because you see the quality in what's being presented at Flip Hacking Live, go to bestrealestateevent.com. Grab your tickets now before the prices go up. It's bestrealestateevent.com. Grab your tickets. I'll see you there.
1: I want to share with you guys some broad seller finance categories. We've only got a short amount of time here, so I've got to condense them and talk about they have to be broad, but by no means, this is not... Within each one of these categories, there's so many different types of seller financing. Options Like options are just limited by your imagination, okay? But these broad categories are intent to open your mind. So those of you that have not done any seller financing deals, I hope this opens your mind so it's possible so your belief when you leave here is like, Andy did that. He told me about those certain types. Certainly somebody's done it. He's done it. I could do it too. So if you leave here with nothing more than belief and a little bit of like, man, I want to watch that video again because Andy talked about those things, seller financing, I'm not quite sure what that is. I want to watch it again, right? Then that's, that's good enough for me, right? And by the way, when you sign up these seller financing deals, you can wholesale these deals too, because we do. You can wholesale it, okay? Yeah, you see them all the time. And it's a it's value add to them, okay? All right. Let's talk about short term seller financing for flips. I think sometimes we get stuck in our mind thinking seller financing has to be this long term thing. It doesn't. Seller financing can be, you can do that for flips too. So it hinges on two different things one, interest savings, and two, the capital requirements, right? Fewer capital requirements. So here's what I mean, interest savings. Sellers don't, they don't value money like we value it. Everybody in this room, they understand what points and interest is. I can ask any one of you guys and know roughly what investors get, right? Sellers don't know that. They don't understand that. They don't value money like we do. A lot of people don't understand the time value of money, right? And that's okay. So get out of your own paradigm thinking like, they all think like I do because they don't. Spend time actively listening, and ask them, see what they know, see where their experience level is. And recognize they think of interest savings different than you, right? They think of interest different than you. The second thing, fewer capital requirements. If you've got a stack of a million dollars you can buy properties with, you can only buy a million dollars with of property, right? Sometimes we think that in our finite minds are like, okay, this is it, this is all I've got. Once I've done this exhausted, I can't buy any more properties. But if we think of the seller financing, that's their capital, that's a capital stack that's in addition to that, right? At low interest rates, oftentimes. And we'll use an example of that, right? So when you think about it, when you're thinking about seller financing for flips, you run your math, but could you adjust your price if you didn't have to pay points or as high of an interest rate? Because you guys calculate holding costs into your, your equation, don't you? Okay, hey, think about that. Could you adjust your price if that's Right? Uh, if you didn't have to take from your available capital to purchase property, because sometimes you're like, well, I only have this amount, so I gotta choose this one or this one, right? If you didn't have to, would you do the deal? Could you adjust your price? And then if you didn't have to make monthly payments, which is a killer for a lot of flippers, right? They don't wanna make that monthly payment. So with seller financing, a lot of times you don't have to make um, monthly payments. So take the time to ask them all the Ford questions. Actively listen. But here's a very important question that you can work into the rapport building and asking. Ask the seller what they're gonna do with the money. Don't assume, we assume too often. Ask, listen, ask clarifying questions. Ask them what they're gonna do with the money. So let me tell you guys a quick story about this beautiful house. A guy named Larry owns this house. And his wife's name was Bert. And I went to the house. Was, or Larry was there, Bert was not there. I remember showing up to the house. There was snow in the driveway. Walked in. I knew very quickly from talking to him that his wife was not going to be there, so I thought, okay, I've got to get his wife here. But we walked around the house a little bit. And that day, there was a guy putting in an HVAC. And I could tell it was a good conversation. I'm going through the Ford questions, asking him, active listening, and things. And, uh, I could tell that he was really bugged, like, not bugged, but he was just like anxious about this HVAC install that was going on while we were there. He was just frustrated. He was just like, ugh. This house was a a vacant rental that he owned free and clear, that people had moved out, so now it's a hassle in him, right? So he's having a hassle with that, and he's having to deal with the HVAC people. So I noted that in the back of my mind during this, and then I'm building some reports, but ultimately I knew I had to get him from there to go back to his house where his wife was. Why? Anybody? While I pause, take a drink. Both decision makers, right? I know I need to build a rapport with her as well as him. So I do that. Uh, I convince them that we need to go back and talk to, talk to Bert as well. So we go there. So I remember, after gathering some intel, I go there and sit there in the kitchen table with, with Larry and Bert. I was talking to them. They own the house free and clear. I could understand like all the different things they were looking for out of it. They were, it was just stressing them out. It was this this HVAC install was really stressing out Larry. So finally, I got down to the point where we're talking about money. I went through my thing, which I won't go that now. But... Um, I asked them what they're going to do with the money. And they didn't have a great answer for that. So, because they didn't, we kind of came to a little bit of an offer price. And then I said, Look, what if I could pay you a little bit more if you guys just waited to get all your money for, like, I don't know, six months? Because I explained to them what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy your house, and then I'm going to fix it up, and I'm going to sell it to some end user in six months. And they understood that. And they said, Well, why would you pay me more money? Skeptical, right? Well, I'm going to pay you more money because then I can save up some of my costs. I don't have to use my money and my money costs more money, so if I just use your money, so I'll give you a little bit now, and we agreed on prices, 5,000 down, and I said the rest of it I'll give you in six months. And they were okay with that, because I asked them, they were okay with that, right? So what I ended up working out with them was, $5,000 down, well actually, HVAC, story tied in. So I ended up working out, about $100,000, it was a little less than, 99,000 something, 5,000 down, and the balance, no interest, no payments due in six months. No interest, no payments, right? They're just hanging on to that money until I sell this thing in six months. But one of the pain points that kind of tipped him over the edge and I knew it was a pain for him because I listened, that HVAC was bugging him so much. He had to make a decision. Am I going to put a, a coil on it? Which way am I going to face it? He just didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. So I told him, I said, Larry, if we work this deal out here today, I know it's bugging you. That HVAC guy can call me from now on. I'll make those decisions. By the way, I'll give him my credit card today so you don't have to pay for that. For him, I just saw the relief drop on him. He just he didn't want to have to deal with that stress in his life. So he was, he was sold then. And his wife, some other things, but she ended up being sold, right? Does that seem complicated to anybody how I did that? I hope that you just open your mind, like that's possible. You can do that, right? Okay. So this seems complicated, Andy. How do I write up the contract for that? Okay? This is the real contract. I recognize you can't read it, but I thought just for the purposes here, it's a one-page contract, and it says right there in the top, the, the price, it just says see addendum. This is the actual contract that I used. I handwrote it. A horrible handwriting, right? And this is the addendum. And you can't read that either, right? So I'll give you some examples of it. But it just basically says, that they're gonna get 5,000 from the sale and the balance will be paid in six months. That's it. Not that complicated, right? You negotiate it there with them, you figure out what's works for them, you talk about it, if you've got an agreement, then you can just put it right in just like that, just a little addendum like that, right? People ask me this question too. Okay, Andy, you didn't give him all of his money up front, so who owns the property though, right? So here's the HUD from that closing. I own the property. Trial transferred to me, I am the owner. He became the bank at that point. See that little line right there that says seller finance? That's it, that's what he took, seller financing. And what he got was, he gave me the title, and what I gave him was a note. This is the note. And that's exactly it. It's a one-page thing. And I didn't even draw that up. The title company did it, per the instructions that I hand-wrote on my chicken scratch. Right? That's it. That whole transaction, you guys just saw all the paperwork for that right there. For how I negotiated it, how I wrote it up. I think sometimes we overcomplicate this in our mind. That this has to be more complicated than that. But that's it. So they owned it free and clear. I bought it from them on terms, no interest, no payments, for six months, and I flipped it. I bought it $5,000 down. I think I put $30,000 into it. I probably made 30,000, 35,000 on the flip, right? So 35,000 of capital, made 35,000. Pretty good returns, right? But I also didn't have to dip into my pocket that extra 92,000 because they held that for me. They were happy, I was happy to accomplish our goals because I didn't assume that they needed their money today like we all assume sometimes, right? So don't assume, ask. All right, Andy, hang on though. What if they, what if they don't want it free and clear? That's fine to if they don't want it free and clear. Yeah, what if they got a mortgage? I was thinking, a oh, conversation going on in your head when I'm up here, right? Okay, here's what you do. In that addendum, write up something like this. You guys can take a picture of that if you want, just write that up. Or you can make up what you want, right? But just write something like that. The bottom is the seller agrees to leave existing financing place for X number of months. And the buyer would be responsible for existing financing. Just write that up, and you're gonna go closing just like we did with the other one. And the HUD's gonna look like this. Existing fi- loans taken subject to. This was a house we did a couple of weeks ago. It was a four- $350,000 house. That's tough, I mean, that's a lot of interest payments on that if you're paying 12% or one and 12 or something like that, right? But it took it sub to 350. 20,000 need to be paid because there's liens and things like that. The 330,000, it's at like 4% paying that. We're flipping it, I'm gonna put about 12 to 20,000, something like that in there, carpet and paint job. I normally wouldn't do that. I mean, to sell in like the, the low to mid fours, to buy for 350, not interested in that, right? But under this, it's gonna take me $20,000 down and 15 or 20,000 to flip it. So for 40 grand, I can turn around and make 30, 40 grand. And it's in a great area, so I'll do that. Does that make sense? How you can do it if they, if they don't own it free and clear? I hope this opens your eyes to like, it's not really that difficult. You just need to ask. You need to ask for it. So during your discovery, you're finding out, do they have a loan, do they not have a loan? And you're going to ask and you're going to do that. So now you guys know, that's short-term seller financing for flips, okay? <laughs> Jason built this slide. There's this old commercial about the Hair Club for Men, do you guys remember this? The guy would go on there, he's like, and I'm not just the Hair Club for Men president, I'm also a member. All right, he's got his hair there. So I told that to Jason joking, so he put that on there. But, um, So we currently accounted right now, we've got about seven flips, about a million dollars of stuff like that, seller's money that they're holding or allowing us to use while we're doing flips. So we currently are doing this right now, and I'm a wholesaler, but that's just of our current flip inventory right now. Okay. Longer term seller financing with an underlying mortgage. Okay, so the overall goal here is, all right, great Andy, I don't wanna keep it short term for a flip, I'm looking for holding something long term. So here's the goal, you wanna borrow for as long as possible Without your credit and as little money down as possible, okay? And for this strategy, make sure you're telling the sellers that you're going to be servicing their loan. You're not assuming anything. Loans are not assumable anymore. Well, some of them are VA loans, but most loans are not assumable, right? So you're servicing their loan. So here's the question you want to know before you jump into doing that. How good is their loan? So here's the general rule. Take the gross rents in the area. Look into what the gross rents are. Take 40% off of that and then your payment. Principal and or interest payment needs to be less than that. Does that make sense? Well, Andy, why 40%? Taxes, insurance, utilities, capital expenses, capital expenditures, right? We don't think about it often. We think, well, mine is cash flow more than that. We'll think about it. Roofs wear out, furnaces wear out, right? So we need to take, and take that into account, right? Especially if you're holding this for the long term, so take it into account. 40% is pretty good. Sometimes people use 50%, but 40% can be a good benchmark, okay? That's gonna determine whether you've got a uh, Alligator or a cow, right? If you break that rule, you might be doing it at your own peril. Don't get the alligators, get the cows if you're going to keep it for long term, okay? I'll show you some uh, when you can break those rules and when you can't, right? So you guys want to see an example of that? Okay, cool. So here's this. That addendum I showed you guys before for the flip, same thing, just add, change the thing. Instead of saying for X number of months, just say for the life of the loan. Bingo. All right, Andy, this one's got to be more complicated for the paperwork closing. I'm holding it long-term. All right, you got me. It is a little bit more complicated, okay? So what should you use at the closing? What would MacGyver use? Paperclip? No. <laughs> so here's, what, here's one, um, and you don't have to use this exact wording or whatever, but here's one that I've used in the past. This is basically letting the sellers know, hey, I'm not assuming your loan, but I will, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not agreeing to do anything, really, right? You just got, this is kind of like the covering yourself letter. Um, and your loan does have a due on sale clause, which means the lender's got the, the option, but not the obligation to call it due, and you've been made aware of that, okay? So I'll get them to sign that at closing, right? Um, This, I might get them to sign a limited power of attorney. You're gonna own this for the long term, and the only only reason I've ever used one of these limited power of attorneys is because you service that loan for a long time, and then some of them that I've sold and paid off. You know when you pay your, your principal interest tax insurance when all the escrows are built into the payment? When you sell a house, what happens? You get the money back, you get the escrow check back. That escrow check is gonna be in the seller's name. The only reason I've used this, and you, it says there's other things, you know, for mortgage payments, insurance, closing, all that stuff. But uh, the only time I've ever really used it is just to cash that check. If you have this and you have the check, you get it down there and you, they'll deposit in your bank account. It's been my experience. So I would get one of those. You also could get an authorization to release information. So this just allows you, I mean, the power of attorney is stronger than that, obviously, because it's notarized and everything by the seller. But an authorization is just a softer way. I mean, this, I think sometimes for me, I, I get that just in case the you don't want the lender to be tipped off, like, what's this power of attorney? But an authorization they're used to using that, right? They're used to seeing those, okay? Um, oh, here's the other thing. At closing, you're like, all right, Andy, well, the, the, the paperwork's still coming to the sellers, right? Their payment stub, you need know, to get that every month? Very simply, at closing, say, Mr. Seller, would you mind calling up your, your lender? 1-800 number, perfect Right there. Hello. you verify themselves and they say yes I'm changing my notice address from one two three easy Street to what's your P.O. box a uh, P.O. box one two three four perfect now you're getting those statements every month right here's another question people have all right what do I do about insurance on this property I get a lot of calls from people like this it's paid in the, the principal interest tax on insurance right it's paid the sellers have some insurance there but now that you bought it subject to what I do is just get an additional insurance policy you should just obtain your own insurance The one that's being paid in escrow is gonna be in the seller's name, it's gonna be of no use to you. Title is transferred. They no longer have insurable interest, so that will never be paid out. I see it as a sunk cost. If you're buying these long-term seller financing, build that into your costing to buy your own insurance. So that's the answer to that one, buy your own insurance. Now, there are exceptions. Here are the exceptions. Remember I told you the 40% rule? There are exceptions to that. Here's the exceptions. If you feel like the property will appreciate significantly soon, if you're a speculator and you're like, yeah, but I can beat the market, do it at your own peril. You can do that, right? So that, that's an exception. Second one, if you plan on living there. If you're gonna live in the house, you can do whatever you want. doesn't need a cash flow, right? Just make sure you can make the payment. Third thing, if you've got some highly leveraged properties in your portfolio, you're, just trying, to like, you're trying to lose money. You wanna depreciate this stuff, you're trying to lose money, and maybe you're trying to speculate as well. By all means, please do this. Or the fourth is, if you plan on wholesaling this to somebody that meets the above criteria. Because don't assume, again, people have all your right criteria. If you, if you sign it up, there are probably people out there that might wanna live there, might wanna do something else. Make sense? Cool, all right, this one. Longer term seller finance when the seller has no debt. This one is kind of like mind expanding for people sometimes. We talked about the round table last night. Looking at the house, we're so guilty of the calf's hammer, we're also always guilty of looking at the house as a deal and not so much the money as a deal. So I asked a question last night on the round table, what if a guy's got a house that's worth 200 grand, you know it, ARV $200,000 needs a little bit of work, and he's stubborn and he wants 200000 for it. Is that a deal? I know most of your minds probably immediately went to, oh yeah, no, that's not a deal. I'm gonna challenge you on that, right? Challenge your belief, right? Change your mindset on this. It could be a deal, it might, maybe. Is there any instance where you'd pay $200,000 for that? Maybe. If he owns it free and clear, maybe you would pay $200,000 for that, right? Because you could structure some sort of a terms on it. And sometimes borrowing that money, that $200,000, for long term might be worth paying more for the house than you normally would. Makes sense? So I'm gonna tell you a story about John. This here is John. And that's his real name actually, like, conveniently, right? So most people change the name to John. So John, I met him, kind of a typical situation. Trashed house, he was a landlord. Uh, I think his son moved in last, so you know that story. The son's not paying him any rent. Trashes the house, leaves him. And he's an older guy, retired on social security. Doesn't want to deal with the headaches. He's not been a great property manager, but he's owned this house because this was a house he owned with his wife, his first wife, like 40 years ago. He bought it for like 10000 bucks. Then he moved out, you know, his first wife died, and all this stuff happened. And then he's had this as a rental for like 30 years, okay? Bought it for 10 grand. And he's got this trashed house in his hands, and he's just like, it doesn't really know what to do with it. So I came and talked to him, and he had people offering him just a bunch of cash prices, right? In fact, he had a guy, he had a guy offer him 100000 dollars cash for the house. Okay, and then I came along, I came into his world with this belief and I came in there, just cared about him, I listened to him and we spent hours because it takes a long time to to get in there and understand what's going on with him, right? So he was able to open up to me after hours and a few different visits, honestly, it took a few different visits, but I ended up working out with him. I I recognized that since he had owed 10,000 on it, and if he was gonna sell it, even for 100,000, if he was gonna sell it for $100,000 cash, that difference is gonna be what to him? Taxable, right? Now, it might not be a big deal to you or me, right? But to a guy that's a fixed income social security who doesn't like paying taxes because, you know, this older generation, I mean, none of us really love to pay taxes. The older generation, they're very resistant to paying taxes, right? So he was one of those. So I said, I just kind of mentioned to him, I don't, I'm not smarter than these people. I just said, you know, what's that gonna look like if you sold it for $100,000 cash? And he said, well, I only find out from my accountant, and he ended up finding out from his accountant, it was gonna cost him $20,000 off the top. So imagine, I pay him the 100,000 cash, or there was a competitor offering him 100,000. If I dumped all the cash out there on a the table, the government's gonna take 20,000 before he gets to take the rest and deposit his bank account. That's a pretty big hit. You know what makes that hit worse? He's on fixed income social security. Social security, you put the money in, right? We all put the money in. Then the government does whatever they're gonna do with it, right? Unfunded liabilities. Not a conversation for today. But, <laughs> <laughs> we put all the money in, it's our money, and then they're gonna dole it back out to us for as long as we're living, right? Well, we've paid taxes on that, and then the money goes in. So now it's untaxed when it comes out, right? Right, as long as you don't make too much money. So his situation was, if he had sold that house for $100,000, he's gonna take that $90,000 gain, go on top of his Social Security income, and that previously untaxed Social Security income, guess what? The government's gonna say, you owe us taxes on that. So now he's gonna have to pay taxes on the gain of the house, he's gotta pay taxes on his Social Security, just because he made more money? That, you know, just pointing those things out to him, I just said, hey, you might want to check into that, him finding out from his accountant that that was true. You can see he might be a little resistant to doing that, right? So, the offer that I had for him, is, I said, look, what if I paid you $90,000 for the house? Well, by the way, I'm back up a second. What are you gonna do with the money, John? Well, I'm just gonna subsidize my retirement. That's all I really want to do. It was a rental for me before, and I just need that income to subsidize my social security, right? It's okay. And here's how I negotiated some price, right? Here's another tip for that, too. Well, John, tell me what you made when it was an active rental for you. Now, I know you had headaches. I know that people didn't pay you, all that stuff. I get that, but how much were you renting it for? Oh, $800. Okay, you're renting it for 800. Now, you own it free and clear, which is great, so you got 800 a month. No, actually, you didn't get 800 a month. How much for your taxes on that? Well, I got uh, about 1,200 a year. Okay, so it's 100, so it's 700. Do you pay insurance on that? Yeah, I do. How about utilities? you have to pay utilities sometimes? Yeah, I have to pay utilities. At the end of the day, when it got down to the vacancy collection and all the capital improvement stuff, he realized, he's like, yeah, over the years, I probably made about $400 a month, really, on this property, right, with a lot of headache. You follow me here? So now I'm getting him thinking about what he really was getting before, and he really was getting that before. He was netting $400 with some some headaches. So I started thinking, John, what if we could find a way to get you that or more without the headaches and not have such a big tax hit? And he was interested in that, right? Now, I had this trust with him, and I didn't tell him about these fancy terms I'm talking to you about. I just said, hey, what if we could find a way to do that? And he was like, I, I think that would be great. I'd, I'd love to figure out a way to do that. So, how do I, so I ended up working, $90,000, no money down, 30-year fixed, 4% interest. But how does this help John with this tax situation, right? Here's why. I utilize a thing called an installment sale. It's right there, um, publication, Uh, IRS Publication 537, it's right there in the code. An installment sale is is the sale of property we receive at least one payment after the tax year of the sale. (coughs) That's it. He didn't know about that. Now, I wasn't going to tell him, hey, let's sell via an installment sale because I sound like I'm smarter than him, right? So, well, what if we could find a way? So I kind of talked to him about that. He he talked to his accountant about it. His accountant was kind of like, oh, yeah, that is actually true. So his accountant, his trusted advisor came and told him, that absolutely is true. So he agreed to sell to me for $90,000, no money down for 30 years at 4% versus taking $100,000 today. He's crazy, right? If I told you that story without giving his background, you guys would all say, no way anyone ever do that anywhere, right? Check your mindset, check your belief, right? Ask, right? The optometrist, you go to the optometrist and he checks your eyes first. He doesn't take off his glasses and give them to you and say, these help me. Why don't you, you know, these help me a lot. These might help you, right? That's why they ask those questions, and they ask those clarifying questions. Which one's clearer, the left or the right? Which one's better now, right? So they dial in our specific, specific prescription. They ask the questions and care enough. Then say, here, there's your prescription, right? So care enough to get, find the seller's prescription. Okay. Well, what's in it for me? you get some bubble gum out of that? <laughs> you guys might know, but here's a couple other things that I that worked in there, some good clause you might want to keep in mind. So what you don't know about that was I talked to John, and I said, John, we're doing this for some tax savings because you're on a fixed income. We don't wanna pay that government. their $20,000 right now. What we're doing is you're making 4% interest on the IRS's $20,000 for 30 years. Stick it to the man, right? And he's like, yeah, let's stick it to the man. I said, uh-oh. So I said, John, we've had a great rapport. I've been to your house a few times. I know your wife and I know your situation and, and I trust you. But I, I, there, there might come an opportunity where somebody, Wants to? You, you get tired of receiving payments, or heaven forbid, you pass away, and, and you and you decide to sell this note to somebody else. Now, I've been paying; I'll be making payments to you all the time. And what happens if somebody? I get a loan or a, a, a letter from somebody someday that says, uh, "I bought that note. You were paying John. Please go ahead and pay me." Now, that'd be okay. I'd keep making those payments. I'd have to, but I'm not saying I could do this. But I would love the opportunity, if it ever came up, to be able to buy that note if you're ever planning on selling it, and you might not ever be planning on selling it, but if you ever were, do you think it'd be fair to at least give me an opportunity? What's he gonna say to that? It sounds fair, doesn't it? It's absolutely fair. So what I just talked to him about in layman's terms was a first-rider refusal, that you can write into the contract, that if he ever decides to sell the note at a discount, then he agrees to get that, that notice in writing, and give me 30 to 60 days to review it and decide if I wanna buy it. Fair enough, right? Okay, something else you could do, we're talking about the money as a deal, right? You guys ever heard of the substitution of collateral provision? Now, that's a $5 word. I'd never say that to a seller, right? And that sounds like you're a lot smarter than me, and I'm trying to be smarter than anybody. It, but uh, the substitution of collateral. So I said, John, we've worked this out so it can be a benefit for you in your tax situation. What happens, heaven forbid, with this house, I have to sell it for whatever reason, right? I've got to sell this house. And your note's tied to that house so I want you to be secured and collateralized. I'd be forced to pay you off which would then trigger what? Taxes. Taxes. And that could come at an inopportune time. We don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to you. So what if we just wrote something in that just said, if, that, that I can, I owe you this money that I'll always have you secured, that you agree that as long as I secure you with the property that's worth more than I owe you, that you'd be willing to do that. And of course I'd get your approval. Is that found fair? Just as long as you're protected, would that be okay? And of course he agreed to that. Now I never said substitution collateral, the attorneys wrote all that stuff up. We wrote that in a substitution collateral, right? So we got that in there. And then the last thing you can put in there is a note split provision. So we're talking about 100,000 here, and you might have a house that's worth $130,000 you can put his loan on. But what if you're in a place like Omaha or Wichita where your houses are 30 grand, 40 grand, and nobody wants to finance you on that stuff, right? What if you have a seller that's $200,000? Well, if you, if you got a first right of refusal, a substitution or collateral in there, so you can move it from house to house, and a note split provision, you can take that that $200,000 and go whoop, 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 whoop. How about 50,000 here, 50,000 here, 50,000 here, 50,000 here, right? Make sense to anybody? Who wants to refinance some of their rentals at 4% interest for 30 year fix under these things? Yeah. You know what though? Was this a bad deal for John though? And I'm telling you, if you care enough to listen, if you care enough about them to listen and expand your tools that we've talked about here today, you can do that, and it serves them at a higher level, right? Zig Ziglar said it, and Calprat up there. If you help enough other people get what they want, then you get what you want, right? So, who's are we talking about today? The number one key is belief. So hopefully you guys all believe. You believe that you can do this. And if you don't believe in yourself, just believe enough to know that. I believe that Andy, he believes, and it happens for him, so I'll take that, because it's true. Believe, right, you can do this, you can do this. The number two, two, the number two key is trust. Guys, let me reemphasize. These require a high degree of trust. You cannot build that trust by being fake. You have to truly care when you go in there. If you truly care, you get a twofer. You get to serve them, you get to bless their life, you get to do good that day regardless if you do a deal, and you'll get to do more deals. If you don't have a trust, you'll be kicking the ground mumbling like seller finance doesn't work, Andy was lying, right, I promise you it works. But trust, you'll get a twofer if you do. Finance your flip seller financing. We talked about that, how to do that. Longer term seller financing with underlying mortgages. I showed you guys how to do that, right? You guys agree? Showed you how to do that. Lasting longer term seller financing without underlying mortgage, right? And again, I talked to you guys about, this is just like the 10,000 foot view of like, here's what's possible. I hope I've opened your mind to what's possible. But every variation between this, hybrids of these, or whatever your mind can conceive, it can achieve, it can happen, especially in seller financing. So get creative, care enough to go listen to somebody and, and work it the way that they need it, okay? Okay, here's the deal guys, now it's up to you. I feel like I've given you some of these tools, right? For you guys to go out there and be the real estate MacGyvers. So believe that you can, think outside the box and go out there and try to help people with their solutions. And please, like MacGyver, ask yourself every day, right? Have I done any good in the world today? Have I helped anyone in need? If I cheered up the sad or made someone feel glad, because if not, I have failed indeed. And you can do that and succeed. It can be a win-win, I promise you guys that. So with that, it's up to you guys, right?
0: Alright guys, how about that, right? <laughs> Andy is amazing. Uh his presentation on seller financing is second to none. And that's why I brought it to you. I wanted you to see what is possible at Flip Hacking Live, the kind of presentations, the kind of content, the kind of information that's being shared. Andy's just one of the presenters, and yeah, he's he's good. He's really good. I know he's taught me a ton, but there are a ton of other investors that are gonna be presenting crazy good information just like this. If you've not gotten your tickets yet, guys, you absolutely have to go get them. The cost is almost nothing. Really, compared to the value you're getting, the cost is a joke. Go to bestrealestateevent.com right now. Grab your tickets. Be at the event. Do yourself a favor. Make the next 12 months the best 12 months in your business so far. I know it can be. I know, I know it can be, and it starts at Flip Hacking Live. Go grab those tickets, bestrealestateevent.com, and I will see you there. All right, guys, have a good one. All right guys, here we go again. As you know, if you stick around long enough and wait till the end of the episode and listen all the way through, every once in a while I'll throw a freebie at you. And today is a pretty cool one. So today what I wanna give you, just for listening all the way to the end, nothing else, uh, I'm not asking for anything, it's just a complete giveaway to you, is an ABC offer. If you don't know what an ABC offer is, sometimes when you go and talk to a seller, a full cash offer doesn't really meet their needs. Uh, Maybe you just can't give them enough, you can't bridge that gap between what they want for their house and what you're willing to give them. So sometimes you can give them options. The A option could be, uh, I will give you an all cash offer. This is what I can offer you. And you'll get it all at closing. Uh, A B offer could be, uh, I will give you a little bit closer to what you want, but not quite what you want. And there will be some terms attached. So there'll be some cash up front and then terms attached. And then maybe the C offer is all terms. I'm going to give you exactly what you want for the house, but uh, I'm no money up front and it'll just be terms and we'll figure out the terms, but there's like an ABC offer that they can choose from so that you can really meet anybody's needs when it comes to trying to, uh, purchase the house, if if they just can't come off of their number, and there's just no way you can do that for all cash, sometimes spreading those payments out, giving them what they want, but spreading those payments out is advantageous to you as the investor. So anyways, I want to give you a template for an ABC offer that you can just plug and play into your business right now. So if you go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash ABC, so that's juststartrealestate.com forward slash ABC, you can grab that document right now. No need to put in an email email address or sign up or do anything. Just, it's just flat given to you. So when you go there and, and click on that, or when you go to that URL, you'll get a screen that asks you if you want to make a copy of the ABC, it's called LOI, letter of intent. And you just hit yes, make a copy. And then it goes into your Google drive and it's yours to use however you want. So you just have to make that copy when it asks you to, so that I don't, sometimes people can, um, if I just give you access to the the actual original, out sometimes it'll get deleted or to get changed and, and it's confusing. So uh, by doing this, you just go there and you make a copy and it becomes yours. You can alter it however you want. So go there and check it out. Juststartrealestate.com forward slash ABC. There you go, guys. Go for it.